0: CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Wow, what a night. What a night for uh, many people across North Georgia. I know there are power outages all over. I think up to as many as a million now being reported by the power companies uh, here at our house, which is just outside the city of Decatur. We had tree branches hitting the roof with such frequency, it sounded like a hailstorm uh, coming down on us. But I know many of you are in much worse uh, shape. Than we are. And so I, I hope for all of you uh, a swift restoration of power that you don't have too many other additional problems. And I know that down in South Georgia, you uh, later today could be seeing some uh, heavy thunderstorms. Um, so I'll say at the start of today's show what I say at the end of every other show take care, stay healthy, stay safe. Um, the good thing to say today is that we have a great show lined up for you. Um, And I'm thrilled that our three uh, guests are able to join us despite uh, different issues that they are dealing with after the storm moved through last night. These are these are three pros, longtime political pros, and I cannot wait to hear them talk about the issues that uh, we have on the table for today. Uh, We start with uh, Speaker of the House. David Ralston, who is joining us today. Very happy to have you with us, Mr. Speaker. Um tell us about your district, Blue Ridge. I mean, you were right in the middle of some of the heaviest winds up there as the winds hit the
2: mountains. How are things going in the district? Well, we've had a lot of damage, Bill. Uh thank you for asking. Um, um I've been I've been in touch with the um Local officials, city and county utility companies, uh, emergency responders, uh, and um, uh, you know we've got a lot of trees. Uh, that seems to be the the major concern is, is 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 trees are down and blocking actually some very major thoroughfares up there. We've got a, uh, a, a significant mudslide on. Um, Georgia highway 52 west of LJ we're dealing with. Uh, uh, so uh, it was a tough night, uh, but, uh, you know, <clears throat> they were up ready for daylight to come this morning to so get to work cleaning up.
1: Good uh, to the best of your knowledge. So far, no, no reports of any significant injuries, um, any harm had, to
2: people. I had one, one report of an injury with a tree falling on a car, uh uh, have not gotten an update on that uh <clears throat> what i was told it was not life threatening but it was a, a a significant injury and that's the only report that i've had so far of uh of of injury to uh, to uh, an individual
1: well thank goodness sir. there there are more <clears throat> problems with people uh, up that way um We're also joined today by former Democratic congressman from the 7th, what used to be the 7th District, Buddy Darden. Uh, Buddy, you, your house up there in Marietta, you don't have, you don't have power right now. You're uh, one of the many people waiting for Georgia power, which we know is going to be out in force
3: dealing with this. But how are you holding up, Buddy? We're doing fine, Bill. I live right in the middle of the city of Marietta, and we're actually served by the Marietta of Ice and Water. Ah, and okay. so uh, the city of Marietta is shut down. Also, the schools have decided not to meet today due to the threat that was coming on. So uh, we're, we're ready for it. And like I say, it's inconvenience, but nobody seems to be injured here. So we're going to be all right. It's very inconvenient, but at the same time, we're just thankful to be here and, and not injured in any way. Well, thank you for,
1: uh, despite the fact you're not that power, jumping on your cell phone to be part of the show today. Um, we're also joined uh, by our Eric Tannenblatt, who you heard on uh, Political Rewind, as you have Buddy Darden, for that matter, on many occasions. Eric Tannenblatt, a power player, is the way, I think that's the way I've realized we need to introduce you. Eric. Oh, please uh, don't. Please don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, having been a, a, a leading light in the campaigns of uh, George H.W., George W. Jeb Bush, having worked for Republicans with Republican candidates across uh, uh, the ballot in statewide races, the former chief of staff for Sonny Perdue when he, in the, his
4: first term as governor, I, I think you that title's not so bad. I am. I have also been fortunate to work with the two gentlemen on this call and over the years, and they're two of Georgia's finest. So I'm honored to be here.
3: Yeah, it's right here, Bill. Same here. I'm just honored to be with the two of these gentlemen this morning. There's nobody I have more respect for, Republican or Democrat, than these two gentlemen that we're with this morning.
1: I, I love the collegiality across partisan lives. Thank you for, for that. Well, let's start by uh, taking a quick look, as we've tried to do every morning, at where we stand with early voting. We're down to the final two days, of course. Tomorrow, uh, early voting will come to an end. And uh, the Secretary of State's office is reporting that, as of yesterday, 3,197,000 people have already passed ballots, either absentee or uh, uh, in-person ballots. The total turnout at this point is now 86 percent higher than it was in the general election uh, uh, the last time around. Um, So it's astonishing to see what we've got going on here. I want to ask you all to kind of weigh in, first of all, just in, 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 in a general way, Um, Buddy, let me start with you. The conventional wisdom typically has it that it's Democrats who are casting early ballots in person and also absentee ballots. And if that's the case, uh, and Republicans are likely to go to the polls on Tuesday, if we believe that to be true, although Georgia doesn't have party registration, uh, the Democratic ticket might have a fairly substantial lead built up going into Election Day, but then all bets are off as Republicans turn out. Is that, do you think, a fair scenario? And,
3: better you start. We'll bring everybody in on that. Well, Bill, under normal circumstances, I would say that would be true. But this year is so different. We've had never had a year like this with the kind of difficulties that we've had and the people trying trying to vote and so many issues sitting out there. And in Cobb County, right now, about 48% of eligible voters have already voted. I just think that's amazing. Now, whether that helps the Democrats or the Republicans, I don't know. Uh, normally, I would say it would help the Democrats. But this year, this year, things being what they are, there is no way to predict. I found out that, uh, like Yogi Berra says, you should avoid making predictions, especially about the future. And I really... Really cannot figure out this one.
1: So um, let me, um, Mr. Speaker and Ben Eric, I'd love to get you two in on this. I mean, the the Trump campaign has been saying for a very long time here in Georgia that they have a great ground game, that they have really been out there. Uh, They've made a lot of touches with uh, Georgia voters to make sure they get out uh, to vote. But uh, a lot of that is going to depend on turnout on election day. Buddy may be right. Maybe a lot of Republicans are voting right now, but it does feel like Republicans are going to have to turn out in big numbers on next Tuesday. Yes, Mr. Speaker.
2: Well, uh, first of all, let me let me agree with my friend Buddy Darby. The only thing we don't know uh, about this year is uh, everything, because it is so. Uh, is such a, a, a unique uh, environment that we're in unprecedented uh uh, uh but I, I would I would um, um, uh I would say two things. One if I when I look at where the early voting uh, the largest numbers percentage wise are, you know, I look look at places like Rabin County, Towns County, uh Habersham County these are, these are strongly Republican areas and they're the ones that are voting. I think in fact, uh, uh, Rabin County one a few days ago was, uh, at the highest percentage, uh, of any, uh, county in the state. Um, uh, so, uh, I think that the thing about the, the, the early voting is that, uh, I, I, on both sides, uh, I have never seen the determination to go vote that I've seen this year and I say that to about uh, people who are going to vote uh mostly a republican ticket and then those who are going to vote mostly a democratic ticket uh, there's a strong determination out there to vote uh uh and, and 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 so as a result of that people took advantage of early voting uh uh kind of to get it out of the way and 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 so uh I'm not sure that uh the absentees now is a different issue uh uh but um um the early voting I'm not sure who has the advantage and I'm not sure there will be a um uh, a significant uh, advantage there I don't know what kind of ground game the other party has I hear conflicting reports I do know that uh, the president's campaign in Georgia has put together a, uh, a, a, a incredible ground game, and you know we've actually put together a, a, a good ground game for House Republican candidates in the General Assembly. So uh, uh, there's a lot of work still going on, and 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 we'll continue right up until uh, seven o'clock Tuesday evening.
1: You know, Eric, it's amazing. Um, if, if we if three point two million people essentially have already voted and if the predictions that we're going to have uh, something like five million plus total voters when this is all over, by the end of tomorrow, we're going approach two thirds of Georgians already having voted.
4: Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I'm leading an initiative with Michelle Nunn called Georgia Support the Vote to encourage people, it's a nonpartisan group to get out and vote. And so I'm really encouraged uh, by the numbers uh, across the board. I mean, we want everyone to exercise their right and vote, but I would not read into these numbers uh, too much. I think it's going to be hard to tell until after this is all over what they actually mean, the point that Buddy and the speaker made. Uh, you know, Given the climate that we're living in right now, uh, while turnouts 86 percent higher, 22 percent of the early voters are people that voted historically on Election Day or at least in the 2016 election. You just don't know how many of the early voters are people that typically would vote on Election Day that now those people are not going to vote. And historically. Democrats typically vote early, and Republicans vote higher on election day. And we'll see if those trends continue uh, in this particular election. And, and to the speaker's point, you know, if you if you go to the website that breaks down early vote by district, you can really see where the uh, competitive House district races are because the turnout uh, is high on both sides uh in those particular races. So I, I think we'll be able to analyze all this after it's over and see what it really means and what it would mean for the future because I don't think we're gonna I'm hoping we're never in a situation like we're in uh right now. Although so, I, I do pick up right
3: here, Bill. Yeah, go ahead. I'll pick up right here because I've seen and I don't mean to cast aspersions on the uh presidential campaigns, but I've seen a whole lot more evidence of a ground game on the House of Representatives. The Georgia State House of Representatives on both sides than I have in the presidential. I mean, these people are going to it. Speakers, speakers all over the state supporting his people. We've got some wonderful candidates who are shaking up the situation and uh, may well take some more seats over. We're having to defend some some pretty tough seats as well. But I've seen more action on the ground game and House of Representatives than I have in the presidential races.
1: I wanna get I do want to get to that in just a moment, because Mr. Speaker, as as buddy just said, you've been all over the state uh working on behalf of saving uh holding on to your majority in the in the Georgia House. If if one last question about voting, uh and, and Mr Speaker, I'll give this to you I actually uh so Yesterday, Secretary of State Raffensperger held another news conference. I give him credit. He's been holding news conferences regularly, communicating with voters about how important it is for them to get out and cast their uh, ballots. And yesterday, he warned that uh, we should still expect that anybody who goes to the polls today, tomorrow, and next Tuesday shouldn't be deceived. There will be many precincts where there will still be very long lines, he says, simply because so many people want to cast a ballot. So what do you think happens if these long, long lines start developing, Mr. Speaker? My sense of it is
2: people have been willing to wait four or five hours if need be to cast their ballot. Well, they were waiting in line on the primary day for a long time, and they waited the first week of early voting uh, for a long time. and, and. you know, I don't know uh uh you know, if his prediction pans out or not, but uh, um I suspect uh, uh I, I really don't uh, anticipate long lines deterring people from voting. Uh doesn't seem to have been the case so far.
1: From everything you've heard, are you confident that after the technical issues that we saw during the primary and during that first week of the voting for the general election. Are you confident that the Secretary of State's Office and the county election offices working with them have gotten their acts together and that voting ought to be going more smoothly uh, today, tomorrow, and Tuesday?
2: <clears throat> My confidence level is much greater now than before. Um, you may remember that uh, on primary day, uh, 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 Chairman Shaw Blackman, uh, who chairs our Governmental Affairs Committee in the House, to uh, investigate uh, uh, the problems of that day, and he conducted a number of hearings in the wake of the um, uh, the, the, the primary and the problems we had on that day. And um, uh, I, I think the oversight that that group brought to the process, both to the Secretary of State's office and to the county offices, uh, was was needed and has been helpful. Uh, so you, my confidence level is much higher now than before. Okay.
1: Let's turn to, as long as you are, uh, we, you've got the ball right now, you have been touring the state. Um, the Democrats are determined that uh, this is their year to uh, build... Uh, a wave that could take them into majority in the house at 16 seats is what they would need to pick up but you've been pretty fierce in getting out there in support of your candidates as well um, talk about talk about what when you're out there uh campaigning for for uh republican house members um what are the messages that are resonating with voters what what are the issues that uh voters are interested in when it comes to legislative races
2: this year. Well, I think they're interested in uh the obviously in the economy uh uh they have a great sense of pride in, in the uh, the the good things that we have done in Georgia. You know, we've been ranked the number one state in the nation in which to do business for 7 years in a row. Um that means that we're uh creating jobs here, we're attracting jobs to the state uh uh I, I think that is is something that has great appeal uh across the board uh they're interested this year in public safety frankly uh you know i i uh, i see that issue uh, uh a lot uh, uh people are concerned uh, over some of the rhetoric coming out of the other party even here in georgia about um, um you know defunding or, or dismantling or significantly changing um uh, the way we uh <clears throat> police our communities uh i think that is um uh, that's concerning uh to them um i think though that more than anything else they want to have a positive vision of georgia's future i mean we have had uh uh in in, in over the last uh, eight or ten years we've had um a, a positive message moving forward uh we've tried to avoid uh issues that would divide us uh we we focused on those things that bring us together uh and um uh, uh it, it's it's more of an inclusive message uh and um, i i have to tell you I, i've i have been literally all over the state uh sometimes two or three d- different times in the same area. Uh, and you know, people are, are supporting our candidates. Uh, um, I was at a, uh, an event on St. Simon's Island last night for representative Don Hogan, and it was almost standing room only, uh, uh, of people who, uh, wanted to come out and show support. Uh, uh you know, the same was true. in. and, um, uh, the other places we've been, we've been in this week in Offerman and Patterson and Milledgeville and uh Warner Robins, just to name a few places and and, and where we go there are there's there are both crowds and enthusiasm <laughs> and that gives uh, that that encourages me. So buddy, give us a democratic side on
1: this. I'm, and here's the context I'll put it in. If well, all the Democratic side now, Yeah, go ahead. You just go ahead.
3: The Democratic side, at least in my immediate area, has been somewhat nationalized, uh, and it's all about Donald Trump. And uh, he has uh, made it a uh, a pro-con Donald Trump. One of the things that uh, we feel very strongly about is the fact that the state of Georgia has passed up Twenty billion million or more in not expanding Medicaid. And that's a big deal here in our uh, house races here in Cobb County. And I can't speak, I would defer many times over to the Speaker's wisdom about some of these outlying races, but here in the metro area, and particularly uh, North Metro, where it used to be solid Republican territory, now we have seen a dramatic shift a dramatic shift in uh toward the democrats because of the nationalization of the of the races here i don't think that applies to many places uh outside of the metro area but it's certainly the case right right around me right up here well, in northwest eric, it, georgia I, i'm sorry uh eric
1: it, let's pick up on that um it, we obviously have uh, we know that the U.S. Senate races here, the congressional races, especially six and the seventh. We'll talk about all that during the show. Uh, have been nationalized in most ways. It's interesting to think about the notion that legislative races, House races, might also have been nationalized and might be a referendum to some extent on Donald Trump. But he says he sees it in metro. But I'm wondering, wouldn't you assume in in rural? A, a counties that the Speaker may be visiting, it may be just as much a positive
4: referendum on the President. And do you think legislative races are nationalized now? Well, there, there's no doubt in a presidential year that it gets drawn into the presidential race. The Speaker and I discussed this a few months ago uh, where you know we talked about the importance of legislative candidates to talk about local issues as much as they can. Uh, especially you, you know the speaker's absolutely right we We have had a positive vision uh, in Georgia for the last decade or so, and you know the economy's been good, and you know we have been you know voted the the best state to do business, and we need to be talking about that it's It's harder to break through the national message in Atlanta and the Atlanta region, and it's probably easier to do it to your point bill uh, outside. Uh, around the state so i think the speaker is probably right in what he's picking up uh around the state and it's just a little bit more challenging uh in the metropolitan area
2: all right bill, bill, let me bill, if i if i may add um bill yeah go ahead okay um you know i told uh, i told my candidates particularly those in the uh, north metro suburbs uh many months ago you know we can't control what we can't control uh and I said, but you know the point that 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 needs to be made, and I I try to make it every opportunity I can, is Donald Trump is not, or Joe Biden, are they? are not running for the Georgia House. Uh, Sharon Cooper and Deborah Silcox and Bonnie Rich are not running for president. This the 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 issues in their districts are, who can be most effective, whose values line up with the voters in those districts. Uh, and, um, you know, we have to sort of decouple the national discussion from the state discussion because it's two separate things. And, 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 uh, uh, I I think we're, we're having success in doing that. Uh, and, uh, uh, so I, I think that, that point must be made though. All right.
1: So buddy, let me allow you, as a Democrat, to maybe interpret a little of what you just heard Speaker Ralston say. We can't control what we can't control. I would. It, I'm not sure. Although the speaker included Joe Biden in that statement, that that isn't also a message. That maybe it's better for his candidates. Not to spend too much time
3: on Donald Trump. But I am giving a Democrat a chance to interpret that. I think I think, Bill, that's correct. And we had a situation where Eric Trump uh came up to give a talk in um council or somewhere like that recently and none of the local officials showed up. And oh and this just shows you how things turn around because years ago, Bill, when you and I were coming along, uh the Democrats had to run away from the national ticket, and uh, now it seems like that she was almost on the other foot. So I understand, appreciate what what's, what's going on. We just had almost a total total reversal, and and in the case of Louisa Wakeman and and Sharon Cooper, uh, of course Louisa wants to make that make that about uh, about Trump, and uh, okay. so I understand. I'm, I've been on both sides. I've, I've been. You know, if you stay around as long as as Eric and the Speaker and I have, uh, what goes around comes around. I've got to get to a break, but
1: Mr. Speaker, I'll give you just a moment because I interpreted your remarks and I want to give you a chance to tell me if you think I'm right or wrong, that it's probably smarter to not talk too much about
2: Donald Trump. Well, you know, again, I go back to the point that uh, these races are not, uh, I mean, Trump's not running for the Georgia House. Um, uh, so we have two candidates out there and, and, uh, you know, the, uh, what we saw, we saw this two years ago for the very first time here in Georgia, uh, at the state legislative level, having these races become nationalized. And, and, and I think that it was, uh, to an extent that we hadn't anticipated and, and, and we had a bad night in November, uh, two years ago. Uh, So the effort that we're putting into this year started that night in November of 2018. It has been uh, relentless and sustained uh, since that time. Uh, And it is about a total focus, total focus on who is better equipped to represent these districts at the State House in Atlanta and not the presidential race.
1: Okay. I've got to take a break. Um, Let's do that and come back. We have a lot more to talk about with three of the smartest uh, political leaders I know in Georgia. We'll be back in a moment.
0: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News's extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device
4: every weekday afternoon.
5: We're back on Political Rewind uh, with a great group today, Uh, Speaker of the House David Ralston, a former Democratic congressman, Buddy Darden, used to represent the 7th District. Uh, back in the days when Georgia was an all-Democratic state. I remember those days. They were a long time ago. And Eric Tannenblatt uh, is with us as well, a uh, a Republican who has worked with everybody from the Bush family to Mitt Romney to people like Paul Coverdale and others and has had a long career in politics in Georgia as well. I'm so glad you're all with us. All right, let's stick with state races, if we can, for a few minutes. Uh, Last night... um, John Ossoff and David Perdue debated down in Savannah. And um, we, we've been talking about what are the messages that uh, Speaker Ralston and Buddy Darden as a Democrat believe that uh, are resonating with voters out there right now. So let's listen to a, an exchange back and forth between David Perdue and John Ossoff. The first voice you're going to hear is David Perdue in his opening remarks, and it'll develop from there. Let's listen.
0: He's pushing a radical socialist agenda. He'll be nothing but a rubber stamp to Chuck Schumer. Tonight, listen to his words. He will not tell you why he wants to support defunding the police, open borders, sanctuary cities, or why he wants to close two military bases in the state of Georgia, or why he thinks it's a good idea to take away our private health insurance from our own employers. Well, typical partisan false accusations from the senator. You would not know, listening to Senator Perdue, that we are in the midst of a pandemic that has taken nearly a quarter of a million American lives. Senator Perdue, in his opening remarks, has not even acknowledged that we are in the midst of a crisis that has touched every family. We've lost parents, grandparents, neighbors. This virus that is accelerating across our country, hospitalizations increasing, Nearly a 1,000 Americans dying per day was dismissed by Senator David Perdue as no deadlier than the ordinary flu. It's easy to look back as the question goes on, but one of the things that we have to recognize in this virus is the early responsibility. Clearly, China was responsible for this. But what we have to do is hold China accountable. And John Ossoff will not be the one to do that, because in the last two years, he's actually been working for a company owned by the the communist Chinese government. Senator Perdue doesn't want to talk about COVID-19, a pandemic that has killed nearly a quarter of a million Americans. He is going to spend this entire debate deflecting from a substantive conversation about the most serious public health crisis in generations.
5: So Eric Tannenblatt, I allowed that to play out a little bit because it does really set up pretty clearly how people, uh, uh, Democrats and Republicans, are dealing with campaigns from president on down. There's a lot of fact-checking that could be done on David Perdue's accusations about uh, John Ossoff. Um and, and some of what he said has, by the various uh, Politifacts organizations, looked at them and said not really accurate. That isn't the point I'm trying to make here today, Eric. No matter what anybody tries to do, COVID-19 is the overarching theme in this race, no matter how uh, Trump especially uh, tries to dismiss it. Yes?
4: Uh, Well, look, as we talked earlier, I mean, in a presidential year, these races are nationalized, and this Georgia Senate race is a typical example of how nationalized the Senate race has become. If If you listen to what was discussed in in, in the debate last night, it wasn't very different from what's discussed in other Senate debates across the country and in the, in the presidential race. And, and, but the difference, though, here is, is that uh, David Perdue has been a good senator for Georgia. And over the last six years, David Perdue has represented Georgians, has provided constituent services to Georgians. And I think that's what's going to ultimately make the difference uh in, in that particular race but it's a it's a nationalized race and but, there's but, nothing unfortunate you could do about
5: but, it but 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 eric let me and then i want to give buddy and and the speaker a chance here but, but my point being yes of course it's nationalized but my point is that COVID 19 <laughs> as we come down to the final days of this election is the overriding theme that democrats are pushing and that republicans are trying to uh, push away
4: well, yeah, there's no doubt that, that the pandemic has touched all of us in, in different ways. And it is front and center. But David Perdue, as a U.S. senator, to my point, has, you know, voted for the CARES Act, sent millions of dollars to the state, has helped with the PPP program. And those are the things that John Ossoff hasn't done. And, you know, let's give voters a little bit uh you know I don't think voters are just going to buy into because the pandemic happened and David Purdue is in the Senate he's to blame for it. I mean David Purdue is not to blame for it just like the president's not to blame for it and I think the what he did in office is what at the end of the day is going to make the difference
5: so buddy, let me give you a chance to respond. Let me layer on one thing here uh. David Perdue, uh, like many Republican candidates uh, in any number of races here and across the country, using the phrase radical socialist agenda to describe a Democratic opponent. Um, I wonder at a certain point if that phrase is used all the time for every Democrat out there, whether it loses a little bit of its punch or maybe the repetition of it really sinks in with voters. So if you wouldn't mind, address that and then uh, the COVID's, uh, whether COVID is the issue, and then we'll let the Speaker weigh in as
3: well. Well, apparently it must sell pretty well because every race I've followed for the United States Senate, they're all saying the same thing. So it either... It either polls real well or say hey, I went to the same school. But to, in my view, in my view, to take issue somewhat with Eric here, I think David Perdue is essentially running against himself. And I think he's running against the tide. And the question is, uh, is it Trump and the affiliation with Trump? And as some would say, the rubber stamp and the total and absolute 100 percent embrace of Trump. Is is that is that going to be fatal to him? Uh probably not in Georgia, but at the same time, uh I never thought uh, that the would take it to him like this. I didn't support him in the primary. I supported another candidate, but I've been pretty impressed with <laughs> the way uh he's laid it he's laid it out there. And uh, of course, as we all know there's a, a third party here which might drive that to a runoff and of course then if it does go to a runoff, then that's where Democrats always come up with a severe disadvantage.
5: Mr. Speaker, how surprised are you that the polling, and I know we're all skeptical of polling after 2016, but the polling does show that Ossoff-Purdue race to be a dead heat, as it does essentially the Biden-Trump race. Is that surprising to you? Is—is is Democrat, Are Democrats really picking up as much steam here as the polling seems to
2: indicate? Well, um I, you know when i when I travel around the state and not just in rural Georgia, but around metro, uh, the polling is just not what I'm seeing in that, in in that race and and others. Uh, in fact, I uh, offered up a uh, prediction a few days ago that if if the president does win in no, uh, next week and is reelected, Uh, You know, I think political pollsters will probably become obsolete after the last two presidential campaigns uh, because they have gotten it so wrong so bad. Um, You know, going back to the point, I think Eric talked about, about the nationalization of this race. I mean, U.S. Senate races have always been nationalized. Uh, and, and I think there's a, a obviously a more of a rationale for that. Uh, uh, and uh, um, I, I thought one of the great historical points that didn't get reported this week when uh, Vice President Biden came to Warm Springs is, you know, the last president that we had that uh, seriously pursued court packing was Franklin Roosevelt. Uh so uh, uh and that now is an issue in the presidential race and and, and that uh nationalized a US Senate race here in Georgia uh, shortly thereafter and the president came down here and fought viciously to defeat Senator Walter George and came up short. Uh so uh, you know, there's nothing new about uh that being nationalized. I, I think, you know, what I see and, and look, I, I agree with my friends uh, Eric and Buddy. Uh, you know, th- this has been uh, a, a an unprecedented uh, tragedy. Uh, you know, I, I don't know of anyone who's not been touched in some way by this pandemic. Uh, you know, I've got a close friend in Blue Ridge that's in hospitalized now. I don't know, uh, frankly, uh, even though we're praying mightily for him if he's going to make it. Uh, uh, And and so, you know, we all, uh, I think, uh, care about getting past this point. But that's the point. I think Georgians want to get past. They want to know about uh, a safe, effective vaccine. When is that going to be available? They want to know when Uh, some of more of the restrictions may be uh, eased up on. Uh, You know, we're going to have to take precautions for a long, long time, and and that's all well and good. I wear my mask and do all the things that I'm asked to do because I think that's uh, the responsible thing to do. But, uh, um, you know, I I think it's a question. Are you going just to uh, talk about how bad it is or are you going to talk about how bad it is, but we're going to come out of this, and how are we going to recover economically, and how are we going to get fully reopened? I mean, I think that's the things I hear Georgians, uh, what they tell me so, they yeah. want to hear from us.
5: Um, so, Eric, uh, Buddy, I thought, said something really interesting a moment ago before the speaker uh, uh, made those remarks. Um you know, we Democrats are very optimistic about uh, the possibility of Biden winning Georgia. Obviously, his trip here suggests that they believe the Biden campaign believes it's possible, at least. But, but Buddy sort of, I think, uh, referred to. I know he was talking about the runoffs that we may see in both Senate races. But nevertheless, um, as close as it gets, Georgia. The phenomenon in Georgia is Republicans come home. When the votes are tallied, right? It it just, It it always happens in this state. Maybe 2020 will be a different year, but traditionally Republicans come home and vote for Republican candidates.
4: Yeah, I, I, look, I think you're right. I mean, you know, being a quote veteran, as as you described us earlier, I mean, I remember, you know, going back. You know, just look at look in the last ten years. I remember when. Barack Obama was running against John McCain and everyone said the Democrats were saying we're going to win. You know, a week out, uh, we got momentum. uh, First African-American presidential nominee. The same thing happened with Michelle Nunn uh, as we were getting closer to the election with Stacey Abrams. Stacey got close, but she didn't win. And and I think that Republicans, you're absolutely right. They do come home. I was looking prior to this call Uh, Four uh, four years ago, the presidential race between Clinton uh, and Trump, uh, there was an NBC Wall Street Journal poll that had Trump up one, and he ended up winning by five. So there was a four-point swing from the poll this far out. And so while while Vice President Biden may be slightly ahead right now, uh, it's within the margin of error. And I think, to your point, Republicans come home. I think that the president will carry the state. And, and I think I think David Perdue, you know, I, I'm hopeful he does it without a runoff, because, as I said before, he's 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 been a, he's been a very good senator. And, and I think people will remember that.
5: So uh, uh, before we take a break, buddy, uh, two points. Uh, number one, uh, the speaker talks about Biden in uh, Warm Springs. I think I'm correct. And somebody out there will tell me if I'm not, or one of you may, the last time a uh, presidential candidate or president came to Warm Springs, it was John Kennedy in 1960 or so, and Kennedy won Georgia that year uh, with uh, a pretty good percent, I think 62 yes, percent of the he, vote. He came, uh, in second, so that's, Bill,
3: he came in second nationwide as to his percentage. He got more for the votes in Georgia than he did in percentage in yeah. Massachusetts. But I will point one other thing yeah. out just while we're getting a little historical. Um, Kennedy was the last to campaign. Bill Clinton did come in uh, April of 1995 for the observance of the 50th anniversary of the death of Roosevelt. Uh, and so so uh, uh, okay. there was a presidential visit, but it had nothing to do with an election.
5: All right, thank you for uh, that. But here's what I also want to do, and then we've got to get to a break.
2: Um, Buddy, you forgot the president, Jimmy, that Jimmy, Governor Carter kicked off his campaign for president at Warm Springs. You're absolutely
3: right. I did forget it. I did forget that. This
5: is what I mean. We got a panel with historical knowledge. Thank goodness for that. One quick point before we take our final break, based on what Eric and I just talked about. So the new Monmouth poll, and Monmouth is, you know, when you look at the 538 ratings, Monmouth always is way up there as one of the most reliable polls. They show Biden with a fairly significant lead over Trump in Georgia right now. But here's what I think is even more interesting than that. And this is from the uh, Monmouth summary of their polling. It's a quote, despite Biden's consistent lead, Georgia voters are more likely to expect Trump will win a second term. Fifty one percent, no matter who they're going to vote for, say Trump will probably win the state. Only 42 percent believe that Biden will win. To to make the point that Georgians are used to seeing Republicans in the very last days of an election come on strong. We'll see how that plays out uh, next week sometime. All right. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way and come back with a little bit more on Political Rewind. Speaker David Ralston, a uh, Republican uh, power player, Eric Tannenblatt, and Democrat buddy Darden—three, three people who have known each other in Georgia politics for such a long time. It's great to have you all with us today, uh, Mr. Speaker. With a few minutes that we have remaining, you're uh, supporting Doug Collins. For that uh, Senate race number two in that jungle race, which pits 20 candidates against one another. It, the, the polling suggests that Kelly Leffler and Doug Collins are, are fairly close to one another uh, in the race. Uh, but Raphael Warnock continues to gain steam. So let me ask you this question The longer that Collins and Leffler are attacking one another, the longer that they are running commercials, tearing each other down. Raphael Warnock, the Democrat who's leading, continues to be able to promote a very positive message, introduce himself to voters around the state who don't know him in the most positive of terms. Assuming there is going to be a runoff there, either Leffler or Collins are going to have to move pretty quickly to change that positive image that uh, voters are getting of Raphael Warnock. True or not?
2: Well, he's been untouched. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, um, and, um, you know, you, you may remember back in the beginning of the 2020 session, uh, uh, I, I called for, uh, abolishing the jungle primary in these special election context. And I don't know anyone now that thinks that's still a, a good idea to have a jungle primary. Uh, uh, we had, uh, we met with a little opposition from, uh, other parts of the capital, and, 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 uh, and, and that's <laughs> what, the way the process works. And I, 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 respect that, but, uh, you know, it, it, it it's, it's, it's put us here and, uh, uh, as I suspected it would, uh, you know, we got a two week, uh, uh and there's no, you know, I don't think there's any question what there'll be a runoff there. I think, uh. Uh, Reverend Warnock is in it, and then uh, the other spot will go to uh, uh, Congressman Collins or Senator Leffler, and then it's going to be two weeks of, uh, uh, of, of uh, uh, as Kirby Smart told the football team in Athens a few weeks ago. Instead of four quarters of hell, it's going to be two months of hell, uh, yeah. headed up to the, oh. to, the uh, to January fifth.
5: I apologize, by the way. I, I, I laughed when you talked about from other parts of the Capitol, because I think it's fair to say that there were two decisions made by the governor that you were not thrilled about. One of them was that he appointed Kelly Leffler to fill the seat temporarily, and the second that uh, this jungle election is unfolding. And I, I think both of those are fair statements. That You weren't thrilled that the governor uh, moved in that direction on either of those things, right?
2: Well uh you know he he has the obviously the the authority to uh and the uh ability under our law to appoint who he wants to obviously then the the final decision is made by the voters uh
3: uh
2: I actually thought appointing a female was a great idea uh I really didn't envision it would be a um uh, a female uh like this one uh that uh you know the suburban women that we were trying to appeal i haven't yet talked to one who uh can identify with her um uh, and um and and i say that very respectfully i'm not being negative I've, I've i've been attacked for saying you know negative kind of things i although i thought attila the hun supposed to have thick skin but i guess maybe that's not always true uh but um um So, you know, I I, I get, uh, uh, you know, I I respect the governor. He he did what he thought was best, and I'm doing what I think is best in supporting uh, Doug Collins, who I believe will give us the best shot at holding that seat uh, in January.
5: Of course, Eric, as a supporter of Kelly Loeffler's, uh, it it, it was the entry of Doug Collins into the race that may have pushed Kelly Loeffler uh, so far to the right that she doesn't have the same appeal that maybe Brian Kemp hoped she would uh, to bring uh, suburban women, particularly back in the fold. Yes.
4: Well, look, I mean, the, the, the speaker mentioned the governor has the authority. This was my biggest concern early on. Was that you know? I thought we all needed to rally around the governor. He has the authority. He picked Kelly Loeffler, and and you know the fact that Congressman Collins got in the race has brought us to where we are. So when the Speaker says that you know women that he's talking to can't relate, it's because of we're we're running a primary in a general election, and that is unfortunate. And to your earlier point. Uh, about, you know, Raphael Warnock, what has you know, been the result is that he has pretty much had a free ride why Senator Leffler and Congressman Collins are battling it out, running a primary in the general. Now, there'll be two well, months so after. You, you, well, well but let me just finish. There'll be two months where you, sure. you know, whoever becomes the victor will be able to uh, define Raphael Warnock and in some regard reintroduce themselves to a broader electorate because my guess is Democrats aren't even paying attention to, you know, Leffler and Collins. And so we'll have time to do that. You know, we're talking a lot about history back in 1992, when Senator Coverdale got into a runoff against Weich Fowler, that runoff was three and a half weeks. At least we have the luxury of two months to try and get, you know, wrong this right and, uh, and hold on to the Senate seat. Uh, Bill, I, could
5: I, I, could
2: Eric, could I, I apologize. Could I, I apologize. Could I, Real quickly, yeah, we
5: got about thirty seconds.
2: Let me let me point out one more historical fact. Nineteen seventy-one, and Buddy remembers, and and I'm sure Eric does, as you pointed out. We're all old. Uh, Senator Russell died. Uh, Governor Carter appointed David Gambrell to the Senate, Uh, and then a young state representative from Houston County decided he wanted to be in the Senate. And nobody made this an issue then. Uh, He won the primary, Sam Nunn, went on to a very distinguished career in the U.S. Senate. This is not um, unprecedented. Uh, There's historical precedent for it.
5: Mr. Speaker, I'm going to have to interrupt at this moment. Thank you for getting the final word in. David Ralston, Buddy Darden, Eric Tambla, what a pure pleasure to have all of you with us today. We'll be back again with a new show tomorrow. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nyga. Take care, stay healthy, wear a mask, and go out and get a flu shot. See you all tomorrow.